I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the yeet of the podcast, and today I'm joined by the yeet of the podcast, Adam Elliott. And finally, could it be, yes it could, the yeet of the podcast, it's Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> doing okay. Weird, I thought I'd feel all right i wasn't wasn't one of those people that felt like uh last night was a must win but uh the manner of the point has put my mood down a bit today yeah and i have really tried to bring in the the big guns for positivity for all stats aren't we today <laughs> um so i brought in adam as well adam how are you yeah i am i'm happy with the with a point so i'll try and be positive um it's not always that easy, is it? I, I just love that Hobbsy said something along the lines of he'd take a point with nine percent possession last night, and uh, he's pivoted since then, hasn't he? Uh, no, I said no. Excuse me, I said I'd take a win. With oh, 9%. sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My bad. But a win would have just you. It would have felt like right. Well, even though that was absolutely crap, we're basically definitely staying up. Whereas instead, it feels like that was crap, and maybe we won't get enough points later on i mean we'll talk about that as we go on but we'll see i'm trying to be positive and that's not a good start no um <laughs> we'll try we will try and be positive but i've got here um, a, a patreon push section but i'm not entirely sure people are going to want to sign up to our patreon after this episode so maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll leave it at that um if, if we'll, you want to watch a video where i talk about whether luke hailing actually played well against zaha then you could. It's the possibility that that might be positive, but <laughs> also the possibility it might not be. But let's let us talk about Patreon. Let's be professional. 
Patreon is a platform which allows us to put out bonus material for subscribers. So most of the stuff that goes up there is video or audio content. So Josh and I do regular videos after games, and we also do bonus podcasts as well. So we have a 23s podcast, which goes up every month. Um, we do live Q&As. We also do interviews with people on bonus podcasts as well. Uh, Josh, you've mentioned then that your video is going to be on Luke Ayling this week. Yeah, just varying views on on how he... Uh, played uh, last night against Zaha, so I want to do, um, yeah, just something sort of looking at at that battle in isolation and see see what um, conclusion I'm going to come to at the end of that. And my video, I think, will be on the pressing systems that we've got in place. I think this time around, I've not really looked at it in any detail, and I think it'd be nice to break that down and see um, some of the issues maybe arising from that. I should say the best thing probably about the Patreon is the Discord channel, which is a place where like-minded individuals can, uh, and I say like-minded individuals, Leeds United fans can get together and bemoan the current state of things. So if you want to be uh, G'd up and hang out with people who are probably equally as miserable as you at the moment, then do check out our Patreon. You can join the the discord over there right let's get on with this so we are going to be talking obviously about this nil nil draw with crystal palace that happened on monday night the xg per stats bomb does not make for pretty reading leads put up 0.4 xg to palaces 2.0 and with the news of the sad demise and passing of adam Forshaw, leads went into this one with one change from the recent lineup so that's calvin phillips coming in to replace him in the double pivot and then beyond that everything was as expected some wisecrack once described Samuel Beckett's play Waiting for Godot as a play in which nothing happens twice. And you might be forgiven for mistaking that description for a description of the game last night. So in the first half, not a lot happened. There wasn't really much to write home about with regards to the possession stuff. And there wasn't much to write home about with regards to the out of possession stuff. And in, again, in the second half, it wasn't much different. Nothing happened again. Click came off for Robin Cock. James came off for... Greenwood and Rodrigo came off for Gelhart and each time nothing happened so the only thing really of note I thought in the second half was when Palace brought on Michael Elise with 20 minutes to go they started looking much more dangerous with with threats on either side so it was Zaha and Elise on either side of the pitch but despite that we managed to hold on for the nil-nil draw so that is the summary of the game let's get on with the interrogation so the interrogation is when I ask the guys five questions about the game and we try and get to the bottom of what was going on on the pitch. So question one, it's probably good to begin with the positives and who better to find the positives than Jesse Marsh himself. After the game, he said, performance was not our best, but defensively very stable. Second clean sheet in a row, five games unbeaten. Calvin gets in 90 minutes. We just have to take the positives away. Josh, do you agree with this assessment? I th- I felt they would score in the first sort of 20 minutes when they had um, Mateta go in behind and uh, just deliver a really rubbish lob. Uh, and when he nearly got on uh, that cross, which I think Urente just managed to get a touch on. But apart from that, I didn't really, like although they had lots of the ball and they were beating our fullbacks a lot, I didn't necessarily think they were going to score. Um but then late on, obviously, there were sort of two chances for Zaha from wide areas. Well, not necessarily wide areas, but sort of an angle in the box and Melier had to make a couple of good saves. Um, I mean, it's hard to say we were really defensively 
stable when we've conceded two xG. Um, but we we were certain. I would say we were defensively very committed, but I don't know if I would say stable. But it is a it is a positive that Calvin got ninety minutes. I wouldn't say that he was particularly very good, but I will let him have have that game <laughs> as a. That's his first 90 minutes back in, in the tank and hopefully he'll be a bit sharper uh, going forwards. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is good to get a clean sheet, but I would have preferred a clean sheet where I felt like we'd really like earned it. Yeah, Adam, I'll come on to you, but I was reading a piece that Nestor Watak put up on Planet Football earlier today where he just compared like-for-like like fixtures between Bielsa and Jesse Marsh. And one of the things that stood out for me was the fact that in terms of expected goals against the numbers actually looked slightly more favourable to Marcelo Bielsa. So, Adam, what have you made of the of the defensive side of things since Marsh has come in? Is it actually as good as we've been led to believe that it is? I think we do look a little bit more compact and solid. Um, I think one thing you can definitely say is that without man marking, we have a little bit more cover sometimes. So if someone gets beaten 1v1, you know that you've got a guy coming across to try and help cover him and, and help him out. I think that's definitely something that's improved, uh, even if our expected goals against is still fairly high or similar to what we had under Bielsa in the reverse fixture, which I find really interesting, actually, because I guess it ties in with the whole argument that maybe with Bielsa we'd be you know, doing similarly um, to what we, we've sort of accrued so far with Marsh. Some people won't like that, but it's it's a possibility. Obviously, we'll never know now. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm delighted with the the return of points, the results we've got. I'm guessing most people are, but it's still the manner of the performances that isn't great. Even if I think we are a little bit more compact, we're keeping things a bit tighter in the middle, and now we're seeing more chances being created down the sides of us with the fullbacks like Zaha with those couple of chances sort of in a wide-ish position that, that Hobbsy mentioned. And yeah, I think we have to sort of take the positives, as, as Marsh said. One of the one of the other ones I'd like to throw in is I think Mele had one of his best games. He's had a bit of criticism of late. Um, I thought Cooper was pretty solid in defence as well. So there's a couple of other ones that you could throw in there. It's just I don't want us to be accused, like last time, of being too negative like we were against Watford because um, the performance is still not great. And I think it's fair to say, but yeah, the results have been been all right but at the moment um it feels like we were second best last night um for most of the game and if a side deserved to win it, it was it was crystal palace and it feels like a point gained for us and two points dropped for them more than anything else do we think that the difference defensively is probably going to be will be less open against the big six josh uh, i think so and i think what what adam said about uh like when they break through one line or they break they beat one man it doesn't feel like right now they're just they've got the centre of the pitch open to them, or they've got or they've got they can just run to to the goal. There's always cover there, um, and like it, I think it stands out that apart from the Mateta uh, chance that w- was across the box, um, generally there there weren't like chances in in central areas. Gallagher had a had a shot saved, um, but that was sort of like a a snapshot and there were there were blockers around and I think he would have had to have delivered a really good finish to score that. Um so I feel that we are sort of compacting the area where goals are most likely to come from. Um but yeah, whether that will end up meaning that we can keep a clean sheet against any of the top six teams, I don't know yet. 
Um, <laughs> I would say that, you know, the likelihood is is not, but I would also say we've got a better chance of that. Um, you know, let, let's see. I think if we do manage that, then, then I mean, how many times am I going to say this season? We're basically safe and then we're not. <laughs> but but, but that, would, that would really, really help to take some pressure off the last games. Question two, let's talk about performances versus results because it does seem as though the fan base is becoming divided over this one. But I think as fans, we like to distinguish between the two, but it does remain an uncomfortable truth that the two are linked. Good performances are more likely to give you good results. So Adam, do the nature of the recent performances make you worry about future results? Yes, as a short answer, but I need to dive into this a little bit because I think the best sides we've faced so far on paper probably are Wolves and Leicester. And we're about to play the best, if not the second best team in the world, followed by two other very good sides. Like This will show the sort of effectiveness of our performances and, and how far we've come or not come, I guess, so far under Marsh. And uh, I mean, on the basis of the last seven games in terms of results it's been fine it's been more than fine actually but in terms of performances I'm worried I am concerned Um, and I think again this is important to say that this podcast is is for analyzing the performances more than it is the results so that's what we're going to do and I'm sorry if people dislike that we're being a bit negative but yeah the last the last two games uh, in the season aren't that easy either against Brentford and Brighton they're difficult sides and it, it it does feel a little ominous. I'm not too negative and downbeat yet. I still think we'll be fine because I think Everton are, are scrapping and struggling for points still. But our running now is quite tricky and um, I am sort of a little down on, on the performances. We lost pretty heavily in XG and XT last night and by most metrics, um, it feels like a point gained rather than than you know too lost that we could have you know we could have won the game um and we haven't played superbly well in any of the last seven games on the marsh um really other than maybe Leicester was fairly good and Norwich was fairly good um so are we a little lucky to have all the points have accrued maybe a little bit and variance has definitely played a part and it's it's important to remember that and we can't just ignore it um if we look at the last five games where we've picked up the 11 points um, you, you look at Wolves and we were the second best throughout that game and then a red card turned the game. You look at the Norwich game, we probably were a slightly better team in that game but then Palace, we were second best last night. Um, Southampton, it was fairly even, probably a point was fair but I don't think there's many in, in those games where you could say we were my, like by miles the better team. Um, Watford was, was fairly even itself and we somehow managed to win that one 3-0 so there's definitely elements of luck and, and variance involved and I think longer term that's where my concern is but if we can stay up playing this way then fine and it's probably more of an issue next season um when we will have a more sort of refined version hopefully of what this might look like with new players with more time so yeah i mean i would disagree that i i think we were comfortably better than norwich it's just that 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 game we missed an absolute ton of chances which made that game way more nervy than it should have been um but I wouldn't disagree with the the main point. Um, I would say that we uh, like before the game last night. I felt like uh, I obviously wanted a win, but I felt like a draw was okay because I still felt we can still get like four more points from the run. Um, couldn't say exactly how that will come, but I feel like that would be possible. My confidence in that is dented based on how we played last night when I was hoping for an improvement on the Watford game. 
Um, and yeah, it feels like we might be relying a little bit more on um, on our rivals not being able to pick up points. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still obviously possible. Like we could scrap our way through. We could variance our way our way through. Um, but I would like to think that we will play better in at least those last two games <laughs> than than we've managed to play uh last night and and against Watford. Yeah, and that I guess brings us on to the question of like what sort of level of improvement are we expecting in the last run of this season? So there's 15 days between the win against Watford and the draw last night with Palace. Um and we've got a question from our very own Jacob Stanbridge who well, I, I thought was would be interesting to cover and he asked in response to a question about what the team had worked on in the two week break Jesse Marsh said a lot of tactical nuances and Jacob asked does this performance evidence that in any way Josh? Certainly not what I'd have liked to have seen no I was hoping that we would look a lot more compact in our counter pressing so when we would knock the ball forwards and not win it I was hoping that we would be much better uh, in the way that we would swarm onto the ball and then take advantage from there. And I, I didn't really see that last night at all. Um, too often there were there were big gaps um, between the the wide players and and James or Rodrigo, and then you don't have the other uh, wide player on the opposite side tight in so that they can all sort of fall on the ball. Um, that was one of the things that I really hoped would would look a little bit better and that was not there um also because of James being up front and not someone that can play back to goal that just meant that we weren't playing the ball forwards and not worrying about necessarily keeping it cuz we were counter pressing we were just kicking the ball to them um and yeah I, I mean that I feel like that's the main tactical nuance that I was hoping to see at the moment I didn't necessarily think that there would be anything particularly special in possession right now I don't even know if if there will be uh, under Marsh but that is at least something as one of his main philosophies that I would have wanted to have seen and and it's just not really there at the moment yeah Adam I'll let you answer this question but you also wanted to talk maybe a little bit about then the repercussions in the uh, in the summer transfer window of them bringing in players who um, are are supposed to fit the system better uh, if the system isn't working does that sort of raise the question what's the point of bringing in or spending a huge outlay of money on on bringing in players who maybe won't will last much longer than than Jesse Marsh himself but um, yeah what's your whole take on this well we had 15 days and the players were allowed to go on holiday for half of it. They went to Portugal. I'm not saying players aren't allowed breaks and gaps in the season, but this was a really good time, a good period to sort of stamp those, as Jesse Marsh put it, tactical nuances on on the team and improve the system. Um, we've All three of us have watched enough Salzburg back now to, to sort of know how this should and could look, but it isn't at the moment. As Hobbsy said, the the counter pressing isn't there. That's probably the one thing you'd want to have nailed by now. And it's, I don't even think we saw more than maybe two examples of it last night. Um, so yeah, maybe we're not going to f- commit to this fully until the summer and when we have signed some players, as you mentioned. But I find that odd that we haven't haven't done more now. I know that he's been here two months. So um, why is it not better than it is? I used Eddie Howe as an example in the group chat earlier. He's he had a similar amount of time with Newcastle before it really started to to turn to proper results and performances and I know that they've also signed players but the two players that played most for them are 
Chris Wood and Dan Byrne, they're not the most exciting players. They're not Bruno Gimaresh and Kieran Trippier. So clearly in that time you can you know, impose your own tactical and stylistic shift. Um, and I don't think we've seen enough of it at the moment. We've not committed to it fully. And like I said, maybe that, that is something that will happen more in the summer. And for now, it's just be gritty, grind them out. And, and it's all about those sort of intangible things that Marsh goes on about, about confidence and playing with confidence. At the same time, it was last night nervousness and a lack of confidence. Some people have said that on Twitter. I've seen a few people mentioning it. I'm not sure personally that one of the things that Marsh is meant to do is to at least make them be able to string more than four, five, six passes together. We hardly did that last night. And I know he's not too fussed for possession and pass completion. He wants to get the ball forward as quickly as possible, but you'd at least hope that some of the attacks would look more like a Jesse Marsh style of attack where you're hitting zone 14 between defence and midfield. You've got strikers and, and attacking midfielders pinning their centre-backs and full-backs back, backpedalling, running in behind and... Maybe Rodrigo's the player that that's playing them through, but we we didn't even see that at all really last night. I mean, Rodrigo probably had one of his worst games, to be fair to him, so far in, in recent games. But yeah, like I say, just not seeing it fully implemented yet. And I thought we might see more by now because we've we've had the equivalent of what is almost a pre-season in terms of time. So I thought we'd maybe see more than that. And I know obviously disagrees a little bit with, with some of that because he's already mentioned it to me. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll read out the tweet that you shared earlier in the group chat from our good pal Jackie Buckets. He said, my biggest grievance with this is people saying, let him get his own players in. He doesn't have the players to suit his system, etc. If that's the case, why was he appointed? If he doesn't fit the squad we have and can't get more out of them than this, that makes me really worry. About giving him £50 million pounds plus to spend this summer and bringing in a bunch of players to suit his system what happens if we're 16th next november december and still playing terribly marsh goes and whoever comes in needs to redo the squad to suit them again going from a coach uh, about width to one about narrowness and compactness doesn't really strike me as well thought out succession planning but josh you must have thoughts on this it's difficult because in in a way i i agree with it um <clears throat> it is weird to me um to have decided to go for a manager who basically in possession has a completely different philosophy. Like if you just go with the philosophy on width, uh, con- considering that we're built on, we're basically <laughs> built as a squad with all of our attacking players being wide players. Uh, that is a bit weird to employ a manager uh, who wants to play narrow Um because if if the idea for the future is well we're going to be a transitional team there are plenty of other high pressing transitional coaches out there um maybe not as intense as as marsh um but they would have been closer to bielsa on the ball um which wouldn't have sort of made us look so odd in these last two games um i think the big problem is that they wanted to employ Marsh in the summer and then they panicked and, and brought it forwards. And, uh, you know, we're split on whether that was the right call. I, I personally f- feel that it was the right call, but I, I, t- I totally understand not everyone thinks that and none of us can never prove ourselves right uh, on this. Um, I think the Marsh decision would have looked better in the summer if he had he doesn't have this period as his start. And if he, if we started in the summer and that was what it looked like at the start of next season, uh, there would be probably more questions to answer if he's already signed some players and already had like six weeks worth of coaching without 
the sort of pressure of of a relegation battle um but yeah i totally understand the issue but i also feel like they kind of have to commit to that now there are certain players that you could get that would be so for example brendan aronson you can sign him because he's really good in this particular system but he's not a player that wouldn't be able to play as a winger um same thing like i don't i don't think we're going to be in for him but same with noah lang like you could sign him because he can play inside um but also he can start wide and drift inside if you, if you want a different uh a different kind of formation from a different manager so i i don't think it's like if you sign all these players then you've you've got no way of going forward with it like for example i doubt we are selling jack harrison and it would be easy to convert him back to playing on left wing. So I, I don't think it's like a, if we commit to Marsh, then we're completely knackered for what for if it goes wrong. I think it's worth saying that Marsh's style is anomalous compared to most other coaches. And most of these players that we will bring in will have played in other systems as well. Uh, and that usually will just mean that they'll be fine, as you've said, Josh, just fitting in somehow into other systems. I think the issue comes the other way around, fitting players who usually play in this other system, um, other system to Marshes into his system as well. So I think that's worth saying. But I, I guess from the outside perspective now, it does look as though the, the club have thought, well, we have all of these players whose main uh, upside is that they're high-intensity players. So as long as we bring in another high-intensity manager, that'll be fine. And I suppose we're now learning the lesson that you know, the in-possession stuff is important as well. It's not simply the case that any high-intensity pressing players are, are going to necessarily fit within the same system. But no doubt we will have this conversation to the till the cows come home uh, up until the summer and then through the summer. So I'll move us on quickly. Um, Adam, what did you make of Calvin Phillips' first full minutes under Jesse Marsh? I've not too much to say on this. I, th- I don't think anyone was particularly great in possession. That's quite obvious. Um, but out of it, we know what we get with him. Uh, he's strong he's combative he's solid he does all the sort of firefighting stuff and the breaking up play stuff and helping cover the defenders as I mentioned earlier we seem to be doing that a little bit better and he did all of that fairly adequately last night wasn't really struggling in that regard too much um one really bad tackle that he made but that's the only thing I can really remember of him getting particularly caught out it's just the the stuff in possession that's, that's maybe to worry about like we brought on Robin Koch and I think we need at least one of the two pivots to be particularly good at progressing the ball um, forward into that sort of attacking zone in the midfield and attack. Um, we didn't really have anyone that was doing that in, in the second half. I thought it was actually slightly worse than the first um, because of that. Maybe we were more solid perhaps through the middle, as we mentioned before. But without click or for sure, we're not really doing the the whole thing that we need to getting it up and through. And yeah, Phillips didn't do much of that last night himself, which... I'm hoping isn't an issue long term and hopefully is something that will improve with just game time but I guess that will remain to be seen yeah Josh I'll give you a chance to talk about Phillips if you want to but uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on um, Matez Click being brought off for Robin Koch as well at half time there was quite a lot of criticism on our timeline about Robin Koch so thoughts on that substitution as well yeah I don't really fully know what was going on there because obviously there was some sort of um, disagreement that we saw a little tiny clip of um between between click and marsh um also i think marsh even said himself i felt like i wanted a more defensively solid 
player. I think he said that afterwards. He did. I felt that he looked to have instructed Urquhart to be quite um, quite aggressive as they were trying to um, progress forward in the middle. Um, and that was what he meant by more defensive rather than like I wanted him to sit deep because I didn't necessarily feel like he was sitting deep. If he if that was his instruction, he didn't do that. Uh, I think he was trying to win the ball around halfway. But the problem is he was very often like a yard late to it and then they were getting through. Uh, and, and in possession, he gave the ball away on halfway maybe two or three times, um, which l- put us in some difficult positions. So I would say that that, um, that sub didn't really work uh, for me. Um, and yeah, I, I think I, on the Phillips thing, uh, I think I would I would always really want to see Phillips with Click or with Forshaw or with another player that we might get in, in the summer. Um, I don't think I'm, I would like to see Phillips and, and Koch um, as a double pivot very often, although I won't be that surprised if, if that's what we play uh, in, in this next three games. Final question for me. One of the criticisms of Marcelo Bielsa was that he didn't have a plan B. Does Jesse Marsh have a plan B? Probably not that I know of right now. Um, I guess what we've known from him uh, at Salzburg was just using some different player profiles at at different times. And um, with Leeds, it's been sort of his plan B has been chucking Hail Marys um, with with young players in in Gellhart and Greenwood. Uh, And we saw both of them last night and they were just not in the game um yeah i don't think i know that there's a tactical plan b right now uh, interested what you guys would say about that are we not sort of seeing what plan b could be right now or we're just yeeting it i don't really understand is this meant to be plan a um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think it's i don't think it is effectively plan a right now no it's certainly not so if this is sort of the hybrid right now maybe this is plan b and in the summer it'll be plan a is what i was going to say i was just wondering what you might have to say john because obviously you've watched more of salzburg and leipzig than we have with marsh i think you've basically watched every game marsh has had hasn't haven't you to give you a bit of praise there <laughs> fair play only at leipzig i haven't gone through all, all right. of the salzburg stuff yet so yeah okay. don't don't damn me with false praise <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've watched a decent amount I, I'm, I'm with josh i think josh is right it's definitely like a player profile thing if something isn't working bring in a, a different player profile in the system but i suppose what i'm interested in is is there any capacity to fix problems that arise tactically from marsh and i'm not really seeing any of that like i'm not i don't feel as though the the substitutions that we're making are anything other than saying as we've said with with robin cock for Matthias click oh we need someone who's going to do something slightly different there's not any kind of structural changes there's not any sort of um capacity for the system to be to be i guess more more or less attacking or more or less um territorial or, or whatever you might want to say so uh, i guess that's what i was interested in because I fe- it feels as though the system either works or it doesn't work and if it doesn't work what do you do and maybe maybe the same criticism is true of bielsa but it did feel as though bielsa did try and solve tactical problems as they appeared um obviously more so in in the period when we were good rather than this season but <laughs> there was definitely things that we would do I didn't feel like that much this season. So I remember saying earlier on in the season, like I feel like the only tweaks are which player is marking which player or who, which subs are we going to make rather than anything to do with the system. 
post the Dallas uh, tweak from 2021. And then I guess from like the other championship seasons, we saw uh, Pablo being played as a wide player and, and then changing things up that way as well. But we, I, I'm just not getting the impression that, that Marsh really thinks that there's much flexibility in the system. It's just a case of getting the system working. Mm, I, I, I think that's probably right, to be honest. And that, that therefore means, it could one, it could get worked out. Uh, and two, there'll be some games where it looks really bad and some games where it looks really effective. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, enough of me. Time for the bring a topic section. We'll kick off with you, Josh. What did you want to talk about? I just... I guess, I mean, this kind of fits <laughs> into maybe a little bit what we just talked about, but other than praying that Bamford comes back for the final two games, which they are saying is going to happen, but I'll kind of believe it when I see it. But do we have another solution to playing Marsh Ball effectively right now? Because I think that the system can't really work uh, without a central outlet. And James is clearly not that. He couldn't hold the ball up at all last night. Joffy doesn't look like he can do that either, really. Obviously got a flick on um, for his winner against Norwich, but that that's sort of an anomaly rather than what he can normally do. Um, so do we have a solution to that? We're not going to see um, Matteo Joseph come and, come and play. <laughs> so what what can we do? At the moment, it's difficult, isn't it? Because Bamford would be a really good focal point to have up there. Like he has a degree of pace, so he can definitely help pin the centre backs back by running at them. He's also got the the physicality, the height, the sort of strength, and the build that you'd like as well. So again, that's quite good for sort of pinning and making himself a nuisance in there. Um, he is the main guy for that. We don't really have another profile like his with Roberts out as well. He'd probably be the next closest. So it is difficult to say because, as you say, James is better at maybe running in behind rather than actually holding the ball up. We don't have a lot of options that can do that. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's difficult to know at the moment, to be honest. But what I will say is in the next three games where we're going to have even less of the ball than we've had recently, it might actually be better to have Dan James because those teams are likely to play quite a high line because they're, they're elite sides. So he might get some joy in behind. That's just me being positive. It's more for the Brighton and Brentford games where you'd hope that Bamford might be back because if he's not, I don't really know the answer to that, Hobsey. 
Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think the problem for me is is that I don't know how to answer the question, the more broad question of like, how do you get this system working as things stand? Like, where is it breaking down? Um, and I think a lot, a lot of people sort of highlight and I guess rightly so, the fact that at the moment we're just lumping balls forward, really. And that is not marsh ball. It's certainly not red red bull ball, right? Um, when you watch red bull play football, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep the ball largely on the floor and work it through the middle, through the central spaces. Um, so I guess for, for, for me, like, is the issue right now that we can't get the ball into the areas where we then need to get it into the that final zone that we've talked about between the, t- the two centre-backs usually and the uh, two central midfielders, which we can then counter-press on. Um, is is that the issue? Is it we're not even able to possess the ball long enough to get it there? And I think if, if we could do that, then even with the players that we've got, even someone like Gelhart up front, I think it would be a lot easier because all Gelhart really needs to do is to be in the right space and, and as we've said, pin the centre-backs. And what we mean by that is, you know, facing the opposition goal, dragging the centre-backs forward so that they're running backwards but but aware of the ball in front of them uh, and just trying to cause chaos there. Right now, we're not, we're not really doing that. So I do think that the issue, yes, it would be great to have Bamford in and he would obviously make the way that we're playing right now better because right now we're just lumping balls long and seeing where they s- stick and they're not sticking because we don't have a player of the profile of Bamford. But I do think the problems maybe come a little bit before the, the, the sort of final yeet forward. Yeah, I get, I get that. I think yesterday I remember quite a few occasions in like in build up phases you would see Cooper getting really annoyed and then just smashing it forwards basically. So I think something was not happening in the build up phase. Players were not moving to where they were supposed to be moving in order for him to play the the pass. That that may have been that that first up pass so we can do the up back and through. Uh, so rather than playing it into uh, a forward player, he was, he's just banging it forwards um, because he had little choice. So that I think that was a combination of Palace's press was was pretty effective, uh, and also I think our movement was fairly static. I wonder how much of the movements that they're doing in training are based on automatisms. If you're doing a lot of up back and through um, work then I wonder how much they're actually doing in opposed small-sided games because it does. It did feel as, as though there was a couple of attempts yesterday to to try and play into the feet of the tens, uh, and it just wasn't working out. Or Palace was stepping in and causing them problems. Uh, and I think as soon as it goes wrong, we do seem to fall back on. Well, let's just try and do what we used to do under Bielsa, but less effectively to an extent. And it felt by the end we were going into wide areas again and and once I think as soon as you do that you just make it impossible for yourself to actually do um do any any sort of counter press as well anyway let's move on what did you want to talk about Adam yeah I must admit that this was a bit of a last minute call up for me it was meant to be Darren on this podcast but I really don't think he wanted to watch the the game back so I decided to watch it for him and do the podcast for him so I've stolen his question and it was how worried are we about relegation um I think it's a pretty pretty good question, even though it feels a bit negative. I think we should answer it. I think I would still rather be us than uh, than Burnley or Everton, um, but I'm certainly I'm certainly more nervous than I. If you told me like when Marsh came in, like you'll hit 34 points with five games to go, 
I'd be like, great, we're 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 definitely staying up. That in fact that might keep us up that points total. Whereas now I, I'm still like, there's a there's still a chance that we go down, but I think I I'm not feeling like, yeah, we're we're the least favourites <laughs> to to go down. So I'm I'm just trying to keep it like that. But yeah, brown pants time still anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm the same, really. I've not really been that nervous until maybe the last week or so um, because I've just felt as though we've had enough and, you know, even plodding away at certain points per game that we were already at, we would probably have looked fairly safe. Um, but, yeah, there is a, there's a possibility that things don't go the way we want them to go. But I, I'm always someone who just sort of rests in the possibilities. Um, there's a reason why the odds have us uh, much lower than uh, at least Everton at this point. So I think Everton are around uh, 50%, upwards of 50%. Just over 50 on like every model pretty yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means something, you know, they are the more likely to go down. I think Burnley are obviously catching us up, but we're still a good 10%, I think, on most models, maybe 5% on, on the Opta model, but we're still in the driving seat. And I think, yes, that that means things are still in our hands. Yes, that means that there is the possibility that we go down. But like we've said, you know, that means that everything has to go wrong for us and everything has to go right for the other two teams. Um, and I'm sort of still relying on the fact that that um, you know, bar some kind of miracle and and us being disastrous in the last few games, um, that there's, I think we're still you know relatively, relatively safe. What is it? One in one in five at the moment, which is you know that it's not the odds that you want at this point of the season, but they're definitely better than you know one in two, which is where Everton are at. Fecking Burnley, managing <laughs> to just suddenly sack. I mean, who would sack their legendary manager and <laughs> and improve? <laughs> who would do it I think yeah. Burnley's what's made us all quite nervous I think for me it's it's looking at the fixtures of the three teams and thinking that we may now have just about the hardest running just over Everton and that's probably what's given me a little bit of nerves and now I'm at the point where I'm thinking if we could just get one point in the next three then hopefully the final two games will be alright because we'll get enough from those anyway but we probably do need something like three to five points probably low end of that probably three points maybe four points so we could get one from the next three you know man city chelsea arsenal probably be all right and i'm still feeling like that so yeah but this is an ever-changing thing with us (laughs) yeah everton are five points behind us they do have a game in hand but you know five points is a lot of points when you know the teams around us have been getting one point per game going going forward through the season so yeah you're expecting Everton to have to get like a point per game for the rest of the season um, to, to overtake us and us to get no points uh, despite the fact that we're both running at the similar sort of points per game and we have the same sorts of fixtures coming up for us so yeah ours are maybe marginally harder but um, I, again these are these are just the statistics and you know that doesn't mean anything really but uh, again you just have to I, for me you just have to take the probabilities and just go that's that's just how things are, are going to wash out but anyway i'm sure everything will be fine everyone take deep breaths and think of happy things um and we'll move on to the listener questions we are running a little low on time, so we'll zip through these. So I've got two questions on pressing. So I'll give one to one of you and one to the other of you. So we'll start with you, Adam. Uh, Key says, I felt the pressing was particularly bad today. Didn't work once. Given that Marsh wants to use this for defence and attack, I'm very worried. Am I right to be worried? Can I just say yes and move on? No. Um, <laughs> yes, I think. But I think we might just have to accept what the next three games are. Um, and 
hope that maybe by Brighton and Brentford it's improved enough or like I said if we can gab something from somewhere that'd be great in the next three um, and if the pressing is effective or more effective than it has been we might be able to because as you say it is important for defence and attack uh, but at the moment it's not functioning the way that you'd want a Jesse Marsh team's press to function and that basically everywhere else he's gone apart from maybe Leipzig it's looked better than this so yeah I do agree it is worrying at the moment and then Zach Palmer had a question touching more on the high press, I guess. So did our insistence on marking Palace's pivot player that was MacArthur when they were building up limit our forward press? So Josh, what did you make of the forward press? Yeah, I'd, I didn't feel that we necessarily stopped them from from building. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't have said it was effective. I, it's not something that really stood out to me um, on, on the watch that... Um, that we were letting them have free passes um, because of that particular thing of, of marking MacArthur. But equally, that is something... Like, if you do specifically mark one player in, in a in a press, uh, then, as always, you're going to leave somebody free. Um, so it, it may well have had an, had an effect. It's not something that I sort of notice time and time again. Something that I'm going to be looking at in the Patreon video this week, so... The front press, when we do the high press, obviously we, we have our 10 push forward into that front line, so we have a line of four. And they basically, the two central players, so the striker and the 10, locate themselves around the pivot player. Uh, and then obviously they try and, what we try and do is we try and get the ball to be forced out one side or the other. Once it goes that way, you'll see probably the, well, the ball near one of the 10 or the striker closing the passing lane to the other centre back and trying to force them into their fullback. And then if you do that, then the other player um, in in that pivot press so the 10 when the striker goes and the striker when the 10 goes they'll stay on the pivot play to stop the ball into the middle uh, and then if the ball goes into the fullback that's a trigger for the wide player to then press on that player and hopefully what should happen is everyone should fall onto the three players in that channel uh, to make sure that the, the ball doesn't get through and what I thought actually watching yesterday is that even a team like Palace, who I wouldn't think would be a particularly strong possession team, certainly not last season, but they were playing, th- they were able to navigate that press. And maybe not like convincingly all the time, we were quite close to stopping the ball at times, but I just felt that they were getting through it too easily. And and I don't even think it's because the press wasn't working. I think the press was doing what the press is supposed to do. So I do think it maybe raises the question of whether or not that sort of press is going to be able to work in the Premier League, where there's the depth of uh, ability on the ball that teams even of the level of Palace can play through a press like that so that's definitely something to to look forward to um, in the future uh, <laughs> and as I well maybe not, not look forward to not look forward to uh, but I will be covering that on the Patreon video so if you want to find out more about that then then do subscribe and, and catch that but uh, one final question um, which we've, I guess we've sort of touched on as well from Charlie Hunter, but how can we improve the attacking cohesion this season? Because it was dreadful to watch. Um, I've already suggested that maybe getting the ball on the floor in the central spaces is, is going to be the, the way that that happens. But does anyone else have anything that they wanted to throw in at this point? Yeah, I think as as well as keeping it on the floor, I think the spacings, are, they're too far apart. I noticed quite a few times yesterday, I think particularly with Rafinha, he would come out wide and then he's too he's too far away from the um the other three attacking players um so you can't play the kinds of combinations that i think he like marsh would want us to play and we certainly at no point yesterday in any kind of counter situation 
did we drive with the ball to walk, like down the centre of the pitch and look to sort of get them running back towards their own goal. Um, that's the kind of thing that we need to be doing. And I think we can do that effectively if the four are closer together. I know that he's tried, he's changed it to the four, two, three, one, because it probably more naturally fits the players. But I think in the way that he wants to play, I do think the four, two, two, two is actually the, the formation that works the best. Um, I, d- I don't know whether that will uh, be something we change back to or not, but I actually think that that shape gives you something closer to the like philosophy that he wants to play. I think it's important to say here that Hobbsy and I are probably the two people, uh, the members of All Stats, that are probably most positive about Marsh longer term going into next season. And I do want to say that because uh, at the moment, I don't think all of the players have committed fully to his system and his style. And I don't always think that's his fault because I think some players are falling on some old Bielserisms and habits. Um, and that doesn't help anything at all, as, as Hobbsy just mentioned, the counter pressing and. and how effective that is and if you are keeping the players more compact then that's one way that you can both create attacks and stifle the opposition in their half we haven't fully committed to that yet and I like I said I don't think that's all Marsh's fault I think some of that is just the players falling into to old ways um, so if we could keep them all more central and, and sort of narrow as Hobbsy's just said in the 4-2-2-2 then yeah that would be one way and, and the other way I would say that this could improve is like I mentioned before if Pat Bamford comes back I think that would make a difference but I also don't necessarily want to risk him if he is still struggling uh, if he's not running properly and it's causing him some discomfort still because I don't I don't want to cause him issues going into the summer I'd rather he got a nice long rest if we can get the points needed without him that would be good in response to yes okay sometimes the players aren't doing the right things surely that's the point of the coach right the, I do agree I, I think that, yeah. Jesse Marsh just needs to front up at this point and say, I, I see a lot of deflection from him. I see him, you know, pointing back to the issues that are there. And I agree that those issues are there. But as a coach, all he can do now is just accept he's got the squad he's got. And it's his job now to try and get the most out of those players. And if he can't do that, then he's not fulfilling the role that a coach should have. So I think it definitely goes both ways Ways on that one. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll start seeing some sorts of improvement before the, the season ends. Let's just quickly do the statute Bamford section. Um, so, yeah, this is the section where we talk about the stat stuff, and it's it's been pretty tough, not, not going to lie, finding interesting statistical elements. We've talked about pass completion before. John Muller of The Athletic tweeted that Leeds have completed less than 70% of their passes in back-to-back league matches, a feat they never accomplished at any level under Bielsa. So beautiful to see Marsh Ball take flight. I think that's tongue-in-cheek, and I think he's probably... Um, Marsh as well probably wouldn't care that much about the the pass completion rate. The other thing is possession numbers. So obviously we've dropped down from being, you know, higher um, 50s, even lower 60s percentage wise to to being around 50% and and under now. Um, Do either of you care about pass completion or possession rates? Passes completion, I think is probably an important one. Like if you can't, if, if you can't complete your passes, then ultimately you're not going to be able to be effective uh, on the ball in the game. You're not going to create. Um, I think it, with an individual player, it's a bit of a different thing. Like Hernandez's pass completion was always low. Rafinha's is always low. But you can't have as a team be that low uh, and and expect to get something out of the game. When it comes to possession, 
I don't necessarily think that we need to have high possession, but I want us to be effective when we do have it. Uh, and if if we can look aesthetically pleasing whilst being effective, then that would please me even more. Yeah, just looking through the past completion numbers of the players then. So you've got Sam Greenwood at the top, who obviously only plays 30 minutes um, with 83%, and everyone else then is below 80%. And Melier is, is the highest outfield player with 90 minutes. Rodrigo has good numbers, which seems weird because he's nominally the guy who's supposed to be um, losing the ball more because he's playing those more creative passes. Usually, we were in in the Bielsa era, we were used to the centre-backs and the, back, um, the full-backs both having really high numbers in in possession in terms of pass completion and here we're seeing Diego Rente 68.9%, Liam Cooper 62.7% and then the the fullbacks Dallas 69.6%, uh, Luke Ayling 76.4 so a little bit higher but um that's I think where we're we're not possessing the ball at the back and so that's where those those numbers are falling down a little bit and I guess if we're right about this idea that Leeds need to be getting the ball on the floor into these dangerous areas. That may be where the the issues lie. Um, Adam, what do you think of all of this? I'm not too fussed. Like I said before, I think I'm a little bit hotter on Marsh than most people. And I think that this could long-term look better if done effectively. And effectively doesn't necessarily mean that we have high possession and pass completion. It just means we are getting the ball into the right areas and, and we're doing what we should be doing when we get into those areas. And it doesn't seem like we are at the moment. We're not committing to the style properly. Maybe you're right, though. Maybe if um, some of those players in, in sort of defensive areas, including the whole new midfield players, have slightly better pass completion, it would maybe tie in with the idea that we could create better and get the ball into better areas. But if we are just hoying it out, I guess it's not really doing it yet. So like I said, if we commit to it, we might might be better long-term, but we're not there yet. And I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. Obviously, we have a game against Manchester City at the weekend, which is nerve-wracking as it is. We will be covering that game in great detail in our Patreon preview podcast which will be coming out on Thursday at some point I think Uh, we've got David Mooney of The Athletic and Blue Moon podcast uh, talking to us on there and then it'll be Darren who hosts and Tom Alderson and I I think talking about that game so we won't talk about it now best not to think about it I think but um, if you want to get the ins and outs and the tactical details for that one then do check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and then with that we arrive at the end of the podcast so all there is for me to do is to say thank you Hobbsy for coming on cheers thank you Adam thanks very much for having me instead of Darren no problem and we will see you all later in the week Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 